This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Women at Work on Business Radio. Welcome to Women at Work and our weekly conversation about how we can get more women to join, stay, succeed, and lead in the workplace. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow, Executive Director of Wharton People Analytics. For today's show on how we can be better parents, better leaders, and live a richer life all at once. I know this sounds impossible. As a working mom, simply surviving another day is often a form of personal success. But with the guidance of today's guest, we're all going to discover another way of approaching parenthood, partnership, and our professional lives that changes the goal from simply surviving to actually thriving. Stu Friedman, as you may know, is the host of Work and Life here on Business Radio, which airs on Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern. His just-released new book is called Parents Who Lead, the Leadership Approach you need to parent with purpose, fuel your career, and create a richer life. Stu is an organizational psychologist who is one of Wharton's most beloved and in-demand professors. He founded Wharton's Leadership Program and the Work-Life Integration Project. While on leave from Wharton a few years back, he served as the senior executive responsible for leadership development at Ford, where he created the Total Leadership Program, which has continued to grow and helped thousands of people since. His research is widely cited, including among Harvard Business Review's Ideas That Shape Management. He's written two best-selling books, Total Leadership and Leading the Life You Want, and was listed among HR Magazine's most influential thought leaders. Stu was chosen by Working Mother as one of America's most influential men who have made life better for working parents and is one of my favorite colleagues and most inspiring role models. So it's Stu. Wow. Welcome back to the show. It's so great to be here. Thank you so much for that very generous introduction, Laura. So when we first met, which is now a little while ago, I remember one of the first things you taught me was not to think about work-life balance, but to think of it as work-life integration. Mm-hmm. Share with our listeners why that framing is so important. Well, the problem with balance is that uh, if you imagine the scales or a seesaw, what happens? Well, one part wins and the other part loses. One goes up, the other goes down. So that's a problem because your mindset, if you're thinking balance, is that I've got to sacrifice one part to have success in the other parts. And, of course, sometimes that is necessary. And, uh, you know, trade-offs are inevitable. However, when you think in terms of creating harmony or integration among the different parts and look for opportunities to make things better in all the different parts – as a leader, affecting positive change in all the different parts by seeing how they affect each other and how they're really all a part of a whole, you're much more likely to discover opportunities for doing just that, making things better in a way that works for you as well as for your work, as well as for your family, as well as for your community or your friends and neighbors. So looking for having a mindset that's geared to looking for opportunities for positive impact in all the different parts makes it much more likely that you'll actually pursue them. So it sounds like it's about thinking of it as a system as opposed to this careful teeter-totter where the idea of balance is almost impossible. It is impossible. Because there's no, if it's just, you know, a bar on, you know, a pivot point, there's no system to support that. But if you think about integration and you think about it in all these different domains, it becomes a system that can support a whole integrated life. Yeah. The metaphor that I prefer is of the jazz quartet. Some of your listeners are jazz fans, I'm sure. Including me, so do tell. All right. So if you think about a jazz quartet, what are those people doing? Well, they're trying to make music. They're trying to make something beautiful happen over the course of time. And... If you watch a jazz quartet, you'll see that the different players, they're paying very close attention to each other, and they are responsive to one another. And sometimes you just hear the trumpet, and the others are, musical term, resting. Right. They're just listening. And that's true for us, for us in our lives as well. Right? Sometimes it's just all about work, or it's just all about friends, or whatever it is. Other times, it's just the bass and the drums playing. And then there are many times, of course, when all four are happening at the same time, but they are responsive to another to one another and they're improvising on a theme or, or a motif 
that, uh, that has as its goal the making of some kind of harmonious sound, something beautiful over the course of, well, a lifetime, you might think. So that's a better metaphor, I think, because it, it gets you thinking about how the four pieces interplay and how it's a continually changing palette. Right. And then I think quite importantly that it's not a single moment in time and that right. it's all the moments that connect to each other and that there's never going to be a moment where it, it would be actually boring to listen to, boring to play, probably boring to live if everything was in stasis all the time. Yeah. That's just not the way life is. Never it's, mind impossible. Yeah. Much as we would like to hold on to those moments that are just perfect, they they just never last. So one of the things that has lasted, though, is this framework for total leadership. You, you conceived of it a long time ago. Mm. I know that you've you know you now have multiple books that take it and explore it more deeply, apply it to different settings. You've worked on it with with thousands of students at this point. Anchor us in what its core tenets are of the four-way win, and specifically how you define the four domains. Yes. Uh, it has been around for a while. So we started doing research on what it takes for people to integrate the different parts of their lives in a way that works uh, way back in the early 90s. And at the same time, I was cultivating knowledge and practice in how leaders grow. It was in the late 90s that the um, the CEO of Ford Motor Company asked me to join the company for a, a period of a few years, which I did, left my academic you know, home here, and moved back to Michigan, where my wife and I had been graduate students uh, 15 years prior to that. She was in clinical psychology. I was in organizational psychology. We took some classes together. If you want to hear more about what that was like, I'd be happy <laughs> to get into it. Um, and, and we created something that was a, a model of leadership development that was based on what we had been finding in the field, looking at what it takes for people to be successful. And we, what we had found and what I wrote about in a 1998 Harvard Business Review article called Work and Life, the End of the Zero-Sum Game, was that there were these three principles that seemed to be universal. And 20 years later, I'm more confident in them. To be real, which simply means to know what you care about, your values, your vision. What do you stand for? Where have you come from and how has your history shaped what matters most to you? And where are you going? What's the future that you're aspiring to create? That's a essential. That's the, 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 the foundation. The second principle is to be whole to recognize and respect the fact that there are these four, these different parts of your life. And we use the, the four domains of work or career, home or family, which means many different things to different people, uh, community or society, which also means something different to everyone. It could be your friends, neighbors, uh, social groups, religious groups, political groups, um, any anything really beyond work and family. And then there's the domain of your private self, your mind, body, and spirit. So recognizing and respecting the whole person means taking seriously that you've got these different parts of your life, and they are all a part of you and your life. Now, work might mean a lot more to me than it does to you, or vice versa. Uh, or it might mean more to me now than it did 10 years ago or 20 years ago. So these are subjectively defined and dynamic. What we do to help people see the different parts and how they affect each other is, is to simply ask them, who are the most important people in your life at work? And it might not be the people that you work with now in your current job. It could be other people from your past or your hope for a future. Who are the most important people in your home or family? Which is a really interesting question. Because people get into questions of you know, their families of origin and then the families that they want to create. And those are usually not the same and starts to raise questions. Even people in the 30s and 40s and beyond, well, what really does my family of origin mean to me? And do I want to hold it in the way that I did when I was younger? So all kinds of questions about... Who are the most important people? Why are they important to your future? So we're thinking forward, as leaders do. Mm -hmm. 
uh, about where we're going together to make the world better somehow. Community, who are the most important individuals or groups in that part of your life now uh, as they relate to your future and for yourself? What's most important to you in terms of your physical health, emotional health, spiritual growth and development? So that's what the, the four domains look like. The third principle is to be innovative, to be continually experimenting with how you get things done. And after we, in our program and in the, in the books, help people to not only identify but uh, speak to the important people in their lives about their mutual needs and expectations um, and to become clear about what those needs and expectations are, which takes some effort and practice, and you can never be too good at it, building trust, gaining new knowledge about what the people around you really need, not what you think they need, which is usually different right. uh, and often delightfully surprising because you learn that what other people expect of you is actually a little bit less than what you thought <laughs> and a little bit different, which reduces pressure. So all that discovery work helps you become more self-aware, more confident about who you are, where you're going, where there's support, where there's not. And it allows you to be freer to innovate in how you get things done and to pursue what we call four-way wins, and that is demonstrably improved performance at work, at home, in the community, and for yourself personally. For those of you who just tuned in, this is Women at Work on Business Radio here on Sirius XM Channel 132. And I'm your host, Laura Zarrow, talking with Wharton professor Stu Friedman about his new book, Parents Who Lead. So, Stu, when you describe those be real, be whole, be innovative, and especially in the context of 20 years ago, it's kind of radical. Um, there was a whole lots of generations of people who, in reality, were given the message that when you went to work, you shouldn't be real. You have no right to expect to be whole. Just work mm -hmm. and just get it done. And mm -hmm. don't, you know, rattle the cage or shake the tree. Well we, put. And we know that, um, A, that doesn't work to make happy, healthy people or innovative organizations. But there's been a journey over the last 20 years that you were a big part of. Um, how hard was it to get both highly ambitious people and organizations to understand that these things really do matter and will produce, like there's evidence in the long run mm -hmm. that you were right? How did you get them to listen in the beginning? What a wonderful question. Um, it was not easy uh, because you're absolutely right. The The prevailing norms are... You know, work is not to be you know, contaminated by the rest of your life and vice versa. They are to be separate. And you know, I don't really care about your life outside of work. <laughs> All I need is for you to be the ideal employee, always available to me. I'm here now mocking the standard you know, uh, caricature of the, uh, the really unintelligent manager because what, what we have found – in the years uh, since we started doing this work is that when you take seriously these ideas and you empower people to clarify what matters to them and who matters to them and to be innovative in how they get things done by experimenting, they end up shifting some of their attention away from work towards other parts of their lives and they perform better at work. That nugget. That's the, the miraculous nugget Well, that's in the this. paradox that is surprising and you know, it's just like, how does that happen? How can that be, right? Well, it's psychology. I mean, it's not, <laughs> that, it's not that complicated when you think about it because what people have done as a result of this work, which is usually and best done in a peer-to-peer -peer coaching environment, is they make better choices about how they invest their most precious asset, which is their attention, and they focus on the things that matter most to the people who matter most to them, and they're, they're more focused less distracted at work because they're, they're not worried so much about what's happening at home or, you know, to their bodies or to their spiritual lives. Uh, and they bring more energy and, and commitment. So naturally, they are performing better. They're also not doing stupid things. They're not working on things that don't matter to the people at work because they've become clearer and more skilled at understanding what, um, what the people around them need. So how did we get people to actually engage in this work to begin with? Um, a lot of subterfuge. Uh, <laughs> it was kind of a subversive uh, movement, if you will, because what I think where where I lucked into the right approach was to 
in, in kind of marrying the fields of work and life with leadership development and using language that was very, very consciously targeted at men. Yes. So this program is called Total Leadership, and it's about improving performance and results at work and at home. By the way, and, and at home. in the community and for yourself. So there's no or there. There's no balance. You didn't it's, have to choose. It's and. But it starts with leadership, performance, and results at work. So that's something that most guys can say, yeah, okay, that, I mean, you women too, You can sign too, up course. for it without having but abdicated. I'm not going to, you know, have to actually talk to people, uh, <laughs> in, in, you know, about intimate things here, am I? Or this is not psychotherapy, is it? And it's not, but it... It has some of the elements of you know, personal change because you're 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 sort of compelled to look inside, which is the hardest thing to do. What do, who am I? What do I care about? What's my purpose? And then who are the most important people, including at home and at work and in the community? And so we we brought people along into that and piloted it and found that uh, it was like a, it was a festival. Uh, people were so uh, excited and grateful that what we were doing was kind of requiring them uh, in this program, which f at the beginning was you know it was a highly select group of high potential people from all around the world, high potential mid career, you know generally mid thirties, uh, mid to late thirties, from from all all of our um, operations uh, you know globally. To, to do this work, and they were very happily surprised to know that what we were doing was helping them to become better mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers, as well as neighbors, as well as um, you know, people who are caring for themselves. And we were doing this in the service of our company so that they didn't have to think about well, they, they thought less about how they were taking something from their commitment to work for themselves and instead were focused on how by caring for their whole lives, they were actually a greater asset to our business. Because my charge as the head of leadership development for the company was make us the best employer in the world. You, you know, do what you can to help us become the company that everybody wants to work for. Now, we, we didn't quite get there, but this was designed for that purpose. And this was really decades ahead of where the rest of corporate life was, I think, in many ways. It was, it was emergent. Uh, and part of what you did that was so subversive is that there was no stigma attached to engaging in this, the kind of self-examination that's going to lead to better emotional, physical well-being, stronger relationships, more sustainable marriages, all done under the banner of how to be a better leader at work. Exactly. So now talk to me about this concept of a definition of leadership, that mm -hmm. it sounds like you were cultivating there and is very much a part of parents who lead. Yeah. It's, it's a really simple way to think about leadership. But one of the uh, barriers, the kind of mental barriers you have to uh, break through that we have to cut through is, oh, leadership, that means I'm at the top of a, of a pyramid in an organizational hierarchy. And of course, that is a kind of leadership. You know, executive leadership uh, in, a, in hierarchical organizations has a certain set of demands uh, and, and opportunities uh, linked to it. But a, a kind of broader definition of leadership is simply um, mobilizing people towards goals that matter, bringing people along with you to a better tomorrow. And you don't need people reporting to you to be good at that or to be bad at it. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, there are a lot of people who are in executive roles who are not very good at that, and there are people who have nobody officially reporting to them who are really good at that. Yes. <laughs> so it's not so much about the particular, you know, official authority or role. It's about what you do to identify what's important, help people understand how what's important for you is also good for them and for us, and to then build trust and support among the people that you need support from, and you always do as a leader, by listening to them 
and by uh, respecting them and by accounting for their needs and interests and adjusting continually in ways that allow you to move to that better future a step at a time in a way that's good for you and allows you to pursue what matters most to you and them. So it's no accident or coincidence that this sounds a lot like good parenting. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I and yes, so that's how this book came to be. Uh, you know, year in year out with not just our students here in the executive MBA program and in the other programs here, but also in organizations around the world, people would say to me, "This is uh, this is like what I got to be doing with my kids and with my you know my partner in in parenting." And we use that term "partner" in parenting or parenting partnerships because those come in a lot of different forms. It's Don't not they? just uh, you know a man and a woman uh, in in a heterosexual marriage. There's a lot of different models for that, obviously. And so we, we try to use language that is, you know, as, as inclusive as we can be. Um, and, yes, the principles of being clear about what matters and helping people to understand what you stand for and where you're going together and respecting all the different, you know, members of your community and trying to move together into that future to, together and, and what it takes to, to make that happen and to then take action to realize that vision – that is what we try to do as parents, is we try to strengthen our families, our kids, so that they can have a strong foundation on which to stand and to to face the rigors of tomorrow. Um, right now, though, we are talking with Stu Friedman, um, who is the author of Parents Who Lead, a beloved professor here at Wharton, um, and my cherished guest here today on Women at Work on Business Radio on Sirius XM, Channel 132. So, Stu, as you're describing that, there's another parallel here of how kind of radical this framework is. In the same way that when you talked about um, be real, be whole, be innovative as a contrast to the ideal worker framing, like mm -hmm. just work, work all the time, that should be all there is, mm -hmm. sacrifice all for company. We also have an ideal mother framing mm -hmm. that um, I think particularly it affects mothers. Fathers can carry this too where um, your job is to sacrifice everything for your children. Mm-hmm. And that you can be exhausted and you can like and don't care about yourself, you know, even though we have the put your oxygen mask on first. Um, but a paradigm that lots of people I know fall into sure. of it's the children who matter, move them forward in life. Everything else should be hard. And I think part of what you're teaching us is that, A, that doesn't ever have to be the case. It's not B, it's not good for anybody. And there is a different way. Yes, yes. And, you know, before I signed on to do this book project, which my, my students and clients were asking me to, to do it, uh, the executive editor at Harvard Business Review Press said, you know, we need another book from you, Stu, for working parents. And I said, you know, I'm going to be 65 soon. I, I don't know if I really want to do this. I said, okay, I'll do this if you let me have a co-author who is herself uh, a mother of two kids under 10. She's a, a tenured professor at DePaul University and uh, has been a research colleague of mine for now over 15 years. If Alyssa Westring can join me on this project and we can do it together, I think it'll be a lot better for everyone. And she's brought a lot of that perspective of uh, you know the guilt that mothers experience, which I personally did not feel in, in the same way and couldn't, although, as you mentioned, there, there's a different form of guilt for fathers, which we can get into. Um, but you're, you're absolutely right. One of our main sort of purposes with the book is to help liberate both mothers and fathers so that they can choose more consciously how they want to live as parents as well as how to fit what it is that they want to get done in, in, in the different parts of their lives. And, and that's what we're hearing from people who have you know, been a part of our research and who are um, a part of our programs, that, that the relationships change. And uh, both, both partners tend to feel a greater sense of freedom and mutual support. It doesn't always work that way, of course. It's, it's, nothing's <laughs> perfect. There's no guarantees here, folks. And it's, this isn't snake oil. I mean, it's, it's real, it, and it takes effort. It's not free, and uh, nobody's going to give it to you. You've got to make it happen. And that's another, of course, aspect of what we know about growing as a leader. Leaders aren't born. They're You're not hatched. They're made. Right. I mean, they are born and they are made. And, and it's an ongoing process. 
your whole life. And that um, when you lead well, you bring a team with you where the whole team thrives. The, the values are protected and the goals are reached. And it sounds like we can bring that same framing to our families. Yes, indeed. Now, did I answer your question, though, about the the, the, the pressures that, that working mothers face? And well, there's a lot to talk about with the pressures <laughs> that working mothers face and how um, this dynamic can, um, or not this dynamic, but the process that you lay out mm-hmm. with the Total Leadership Program can help examine what, what the dynamics are at play in your life, yes. specific to you and not in a generalization. Seems like the other thing that's potent here. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why it's it's been successful is that there's no prescription for what values to have or what vision to have or who's important in your life or or what changes you should make in it. It's entirely customized to the individual and here now to the to the family. So you know, we have at the beginning you start in parents who lead with identifying your values, your vision for the future, and and your partner's doing the same thing. And then you come together and share what you came up with, and in fact. What you do uh, with your partner is identify what you think their uh, perspective is on the different parts of their lives and how important they are and where they are devoting their attention. And then, you know, he or she is doing the same for you and you compare notes and then you compare notes on the vision of the future you're trying to create. And of course, there are differences there and it, it, it creates an opportunity for alignment and uh a clearer path forward together. In the first half hour, part of what we were talking about was kind of how radical your work was when you first started building Total Leadership 20 years ago. The paradigms that we've lived in as workers, you know, in this country as men and women, the different kind of um, expectations that are set for us, Mm -hmm. the challenges we face. One of the things we didn't mention that I want to tap into, though, is there's always this question that we debate on the show here. Um, or we don't debate it, we examine it from both sides. It's when do we work on changing ourselves and when do we work on changing the system that Uh, we're in? mm -hmm. And you've done both in different ways in your career. Before Mm -hmm. we dive back into um, total leadership and how this actually helps us as parents, Mm -hmm. um, talk to me about how you've looked at that tension of when do we put attention on ourselves and when do we look at the systems that we live and work in or build as leaders? It's such an important issue and it's one that uh, so many people are are struggling with because uh, the structural conditions in our society are antagonistic. It's a to, great way of putting it. To working families, uh, and and it's 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 tragic, and, and and it's awful, and it can be changed. Uh, there are many models, particularly in in Western Europe, that uh, present a, a very different alternative to what it means to truly care about working families through not just paid parental leave, uh, and support for childcare, but respect and investment in childcare and in education and in other forms of social support, uh, like the scheduling of school, mm-hmm. and not just on a daily basis, but over the course of a whole calendar, and the requirement of um, some kind of service a commitment by all young people, which helps everyone to see how they're a part of something bigger. So, you know, a, a, a more broad set of social changes uh, are slowly <laughs> happening here in our you know, very capitalist-centric society, but it's slow. Cultural, political change is a slog. And I, you know, part, of, part of my work has been in advocacy and education at the policy level. I worked uh, on projects with two White House administrations, the Department of Labor, the Department of State, the United Nations, to help advance these ideas of what a, a more progressive agenda for support for working families can and should look like. But it's it, it just takes forever. <laughs> right. And meanwhile, there's millions and millions of working moms and dads out there trying to figure out how do I make this day work. Right. <laughs> and and you know my orientation as an organizational psychologist really pulls in both directions, right? It's about the it's people at work. And so what can you do for yourself and the world that you have the most direct impact on, your immediate social environment, 
And that's really where the main emphasis in Parents Who Lead is about. It's you, your family, your network of people who matter most to you. And that includes not just your children and your colleagues at work, but also your child care providers, teachers, extended family. You know, when we look at the whole person from the perspective of working parents, it's all those stakeholders who have an interest in you and your success, and you have to figure out ways of helping them so that they can help you so that you can move forward <laughs> together and experiment in ways that w work for all those parties. Um, there's lots to be done within organizations, and that is really where the most creative change is happening at a structural level because the private sector in our society just has just more freedom, more leverage, right. and more um, need to compete to get the best and the brightest young people. And so... What is just delightful to see, and this is one of the benefits of having a lot of gray hair and having been around for a <laughs> while and been in this field for over 30 years, is there's a real change. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not nearly enough. Yeah. It's, it's baby steps, but it's different now, as you were pointing out in the beginning, uh, so that it is totally legit in many sectors, particularly technology and even in finance and consulting, for dads to claim their role as fathers who want to be engaged, not like their fathers weren't. And that companies are, you know, the progressive ones who are competing for the best and the brightest uh, working fathers are doing whatever they can to say, hey, we want you to be the father you want to be because that's good for us. Right. So even if they're not doing it because it's a moral imperative, they're doing it it's because it's a, a business imperative. Uh, yes. And that's, that was kind of the, the raison d'etre for this work at, you know, to begin with at Ford. It's to be a, uh, uh, an employer of choice, a place that people want to come to. So we help people to think about changes that they can make in their world. And one critique of this kind of more psychologically based approach or social psychologically based approach is that it doesn't deal with the structural dynamics around us. And so what I've personally tried to do in my own life and career is to address both. And that's what we advocate for um, you know, in, in the in the very ending of, of Parents Who Lead, we, we exhort people <laughs> basically to vote. Yes, go vote. <laughs> <laughs> That's the main thing. Uh, but there's and other... to consider these issues and how they affect your life when you do. And to speak out. To speak out, especially for those who don't have a voice. That's the main part of the, the postscript that, that we emphasize, that most of the people reading this book have so much more freedom and opportunity to make positive change in ways that, you know, serve their children and their world uh, so much more than most other human beings have ever had. And there's an obligation, uh, really, to try to help others to 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 have um, better conditions that enable them to be the parents that they want to be, because that's, that's a universal. And so, you know, it's a, it's a great challenge. Uh, I can think of none more important, frankly. Uh, and, you know, we just keep trying. <laughs> For those of you who just tuned in, this is Women at Work on Business Radio here on Sirius XM 132, and I'm your host, Laura Zarrow. I'm talking with Stu Freeman about his book, Parents Who Lead, The Leadership Approach You Need to Parent with Purpose, Fuel Your Career, and Create a Richer Life. So, Stu, on the heels of this um, appropriate and important um, plea to everybody to use their voices and reach out, I want to dive into how we use our voices with each other, because you referred before to the idea that um, in, the, in using the total leadership model, this idea that you're going to cultivate these four different domains of your life in partnership with the people who are in them, mm -hmm. um, you're deploying some social psychology techniques mm -hmm. and, dare I say, a fair amount of vulnerability. Quite a lot. So as scary as it is to sometime raise our voices to the heavens, to the man, to whoever it is that we need to speak out to on behalf of others, yeah. it can also be really scary to mm -hmm. talk to each other about these things, mm -hmm. about how we make life work. Yes. And as I was reading the book, mm -hmm. um, to be perfectly honest, I kept thinking, I wish, I, as many of our listeners know, I have a failed marriage. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things I thought about was, could it have been different if we had learned to talk with each other? in more productive ways mm -hmm. about all the challenges of how do I succeed at work and how do I define success? How does he succeed at work? How does he define success? Mm -hmm. How do we balance home? How do we engage with community? Could our, would our futures have been different? I don't know. Probably. But most likely. <laughs> Maybe so, not. So I don't know the whole story. I know some <laughs> of it. but um, So share with me, yeah. um, and, I, and, and 
it possible kind of in the ways that you instruct people in the books and yeah. in the workshops? How do you begin to think, of, how do you learn how to talk to each other so that these processes can be productive? It's such an important question, and it really gets to the heart of this whole business of learning to lead uh, in your life as a parent, at work, everywhere. How do you talk to people so that you can be open to hearing things that you don't want to hear or that you think you don't want to hear because they're discordant you know, with what you see as right, true, and beautiful, um, and to be able to convey to other people that which is essential for you to have them understand. This is a really hard thing to do. It, I see. It seems I, easy. It's scary. The right? first time I opened your book, yeah, you thought, oh, this was now, this. I don't know, eight, ten years ago, uh-huh. I thought, I, I was like, oh, I'm going to do this. And then I got frightened about doing the exercises with other people. Almost everybody does. That's that's like a standard response. <laughs> so um, how do we get through that? A couple things that, that help. One is to do this work with other people. So I think I mentioned earlier that this happens, most of this work happens in a peer-to-peer coaching environment. So imagine if, if you and me and Dion were uh, coaching each other. Okay. Okay, and, and each of the three of us writes our values and our vision of the future, which is a simple exercise. Describe a day 15 years from now. What do you do in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening? With whom and why are you doing it? What's the impact that you're having? What's the legacy you're creating? You do that. I do that. Dan does that. And so then Dan and I read yours, and we ask you some questions about that. And you, of course, control all your information. You decide what to write. You, you know, when you write about your, your history and the sh- critical events that have shaped your values and beliefs, you're going to edit that. You're not going to tell us everything. So I have the safety that I create by deciding what I share and you what I don't share. choose what to reveal. Hugely important uh, <laughs> that is huge. prescription about all the work that I do in everything. It's you control your information. No one, no one is going to require you to reveal anything about yourself that you don't want to reveal to anyone. And, Start there. And so often I will say to people, look, you chose to be here. <laughs> you chose to be in this elective class. You chose to be in this workshop. If you don't want at any point to be doing anything that I invite you to do, well, then don't do it. That's cool. But you may want to stretch further to see where this can take you because we know that it's useful to reveal more of yourself than other people generally know because they want to know who you are. So that's creating, it sounds like you're creating some safety, but also um, cultivating a culture of trust in the room. Exactly. And that is that is the secret sauce of, uh, of just about everything that I do in my <laughs> professional life. And to to create a community of developing leaders where the norm is we're here to help each other. We're here to be compassionate first with ourselves and then with each other and to reserve judgment. And so there's some training in this. And so, you know, in the best case, we are providing feedback to people about the quality of the feedback that they're providing to each other. So part of what people learn in our in our courses and programs is how to be good coaches, and how to be good clients of coaching, which, of course, is all about the question of being open and non-defensive when other people ask you things to explain things further that you might not want to talk about. So if we bring this now into the most intimate domain of our lives, our relationships with our partners, yes. our relationship with our children, yes. um, and you know, I can you know, let out the punchline. I read the book. You also coach us on how to do this with each other. Creating yeah. that sense of trust and safety is critical. And making it a two-way street. Has to be. And so... It's all about wins for all, right? That's the goal. But please continue. Sorry. So in this, one of the critical elements here is where um, in the original Total Leadership version, yeah. we've got work, home, community, and self. Yes. In the parent version, our more... children are a part of this. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about how and where we involve our children create safety and trust with our kids, especially given that, you know, mine's 17, yours are 20s and beyond. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people have, like in your book, are doing this with five-year-olds. Yes. And it all works. Well, it doesn't always all work. <laughs> or it, all, it can work it regardless can. Well, of you age. Have to, 
So, uh, you know, in in the basic total leadership approach, we do ask people to talk to their kids as as stakeholders uh, in their lives. What I referred to in an early work as the unseen stakeholders at work. That's who children are because they're affected by our work. Oh, that's Even beautiful. Can I use visible. that? I'll give you credit. Sure, of course. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's an important it's a helpful idea. idea because it it gets you to think about. What, what's happening to me in my work experience is affecting my kids. Uh, and we have a, you know, some really interesting evidence on that from the study like over 20 years ago on how the emotional uh, lives and the physical health of your and the school performance of your children is affected by the quality of your experience at work. So kids are central to the Parents Who Lead project, of course, and we dig in way further uh, in this project than in in the past versions of total leadership because after the initial uh, uh, entry into the question of your values, my values, your vision, my vision, our vision, and sometimes it turns out that there's complete incompatibility between those two visions and that leads to Splitsville. Right. And that's often, you know, the better outcome, right? Right. And, and although there can be better and worse ways to get to Splitsville. True. And it sounds like this could be helpful to get there in a more peaceful way. Well, it, because, you're, because you're, you're being trained to and coached on how to move forward with compassion. And, yeah, so while compassion identifying the, the things that matter. And, and, and articulating those, writing about those, getting questions about that so that you become clearer and more confident as other people respond and affirm what it is that you're saying about what matters and where you want to go and who you are and what your purpose is. So when it comes to kids, so many people approach the course, they get through the first part having you know, looked at their values and vision, and then they get to the second part, which is about talking to critical stakeholders about mutual needs and expectations, and they realize, you know what, maybe I don't want to take this course. Or <laughs> I say, okay, well, let's talk about that. What are you afraid of? What's the problem? What are you concerned about? Well, I... I don't really know that I want to hear what he has to say. Yeah, I know that when I first considered it, I was really frightened that the things that the worst things I thought about myself would be made more true because I'd hear them from other people. Yes, that is incredibly common. Like I say incredibly because it, it, it's, it's not universal, but so many people feel that way. And then they discover, and this is the clear majority that they have a lot more love and support surrounding them than they had imagined. Yeah, than you ever realized. And they only discover it by taking that risk and saying, here's what I think is important to you. You're an important person in my life and in my future. I've thought about this, right? I've identified you as someone who matters to my future that I've now been more articulate about. And, and, and I've thought about what I think is important to you as you look to me. Uh, and I and I want to see if I've got it right, and then I want to you know flip it around and do the same. Would you be willing to do that? And most people, when you approach them that way, are honored. They're flattered. They feel good. They're like, "Wow, you, oh, sure, of course." And most people will be, feel good just you're having said that. Hey, you're important to me. Yeah. Right? So just doing that is worth the price of admission and of the book, by the way. <laughs> Without a doubt. So okay. on that note, on turning the table yes. and asking people what's important to them, yes. and at the same time, give us a model of how this works in real life. You did something really quite delightful and I think unusual for your 65th birthday with your kids. Yeah. Well, I, uh, well and, and it, it, it sort of speaks to how I got to finally committing to doing this book project. Um you know, I, there was nothing material that I could think of, and I and I realized what I really want to hear from my kids and my wife, Hallie, was uh, how they thought about our future together. And so I asked each one of them to spend a little time writing. Yes, the professor gave his family <laughs> an assignment. Uh, yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah, but uh, I'm sure this didn't surprise them. <laughs> uh, just write about what you would like me to do with the remainder of my productive life. What would you like me to focus on? And how by my doing whatever it is that you've just thought of, would that make your life better? That's an important part. See, that's the win-win mentality, right? Okay. 
Not just what you want for me, but what you want for me in a way that's good for you. And also that you are engaging them in a question that most people ask of themselves for themselves. And you instead were asking it of them. Yeah, because I wanted to know what I could do that would be consistent with what I want to do with my remaining days and how it would be helpful to them. And and you have to be willing to spend an hour talking to me about whatever it is that you wrote. <laughs> okay. That was that was the hardest part, and it was wonderful. I uh, it was I learned so much, and of course they were all completely different, uh, but they did have some common themes in them. And one of them was to to not quite stop <laughs> doing what I'm doing, <laughs> and to try to bring more of what I've been doing to. Uh, to more working families, and so that 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 kind of inspired me to to go forward. But many people are afraid to. I'm going to finish on the really important point that you raised about the fear that people have about discovering that what they're going to hear from other people is that yes, you're a loser and I hate you. Uh, <laughs> that's not what happens. That's not what, typically. I mean, sometimes it does, and I would say, and this is a very leaderful mindset. Wouldn't you rather know? Yeah, that's right. When I, when I read when you put that in the book, and I thought about it for all the times that I've run away from those moments, mm-hmm. um, it is both. It, it's funny how when you find out what the demon is that you insisted on not seeing, mm-hmm. it instantly becomes less frightening. Yeah, exactly. and you can do something about it, choose. which gives you some power over your own trajectory. Beautifully put. Yes, exactly. That's and that's what typically happens, and people feel more confident and more competent about moving in a direction that they want to go. Uh, and and even better is that they discover that what other people expect of them is, uh, as I was saying earlier, a little bit less and a little bit different than what they were imagining. Mm-hmm. And they hear that they're uh, that they're that they're loved and appreciated in ways that they had never heard before. Uh, but it's important to do the preparatory investment of thinking about all right, well, what do I think she sees when she looks at me. So th- I call this taking the leadership leap, putting yourself in the head, the heart and mind of the people who matter to you. And this is a true at work as well as at home mm-hmm. and f- close friends, community. And what as they look at you, what do they see? And to then give them. Here's what I think you see when you look at me in terms of what you need from me. I think you expect this, 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 and this. Do I have it right? And I'm here putting my arms wide out, open, to dim- to demonstrate that I'm open to hearing what you have to say, and I'm probably wrong. <laughs> right, and you're inviting them to tell you that you're inviting wrong. Inviting them. I'm not saying, here's what I think is important to you. I'm saying, here's what I think is important to you what am I missing? What don't I have right? And that signals to the other person, first, I've thought about it, and I care enough to have, had, to have thought about it. And second, it's something specific that I can ask you to then respond to and to correct. And I'm going to learn, especially if I'm inquiring and I'm compassionate and non-judgmental and committed to really understanding the world from your point of view, which is what leaders do well. And in that, though, is the very um, both simple and deeply complex process of learning how to listen, how to really make a—so it's making a space for somebody else to share with you and then being present and listening, not just on your own terms, but on theirs. Yeah, and and you come out of that feeling more supported and less afraid. But going in, most people fear exactly as you <laughs> as you described it. Uh, this is going to be awful. I'm going to be told, you know, terrible things about myself, and I'm just going to feel worse. So, nah, I don't want to do it. That's how most people describe going into therapy. Often, well, it's <laughs> it's kind of a therapeutic endeavor. Uh, it, it although, it. you know, we're not child psychologists. Uh, we are not developmental theorists. We are organizational psychologists, Alyssa and I. But we have distilled some of the wisdom from those fields and and brought them into uh, into into a space that that people can use who are working parents anywhere. Well, it also, I think, honors the fact that families are little organizational systems and that we live our lives in these organizational systems that may not be a company, it may not be a government, but it's the lives that we lead with a lot of interdependent parts. 
and that um, if I'm understanding it all by acknowledging that we're part of a bigger system, Mm -hmm. it affects us and we affect all the other parts of it, and we consider that in how we approach it, then we can not only be happier but help that whole system thrive. Yes, and you're also interdependent with other, you know, aspects of your environment, like your community, like your care providers, and like your friends, and talking to those people about their needs and interests and how you can support them and how they can support you makes you stronger. It helps you to actually construct the village that it takes to raise a child. Right. And so for the way that so many of us have struggled with the challenges of how do we navigate our lives and we feel like we're in it alone on like Team Sisyphus, instead it gives us a paradigm for how we do it together in a way that's, A, easier, but ultimately more rewarding. For you and for your kids, as well as for your career and each other. Yeah. It's not that complicated, really. Now, so I highly recommend the book. Gobbled it up. Um, have already started to talk to my daughter about will she play with me with some of it. So I'll let you know what happens. I can't wait. But in the meantime, Stu, if people want to learn more about the books, yeah. getting involved in um, any of the, the group coaching activities, where can people find you to learn more and um, get more involved in this kind of way of navigating life? Just go to parentswholead.net. That's where we have information about the book and about these programs. And it's on a larger site that's called totalleadership.org. Fantastic. And where can they follow you? Twitter? Uh, Yes, I'm on Twitter, at Stu Friedman, as I announce on my show every week. And I'm also on LinkedIn. Fantastic. Happy to have you join me. Stu, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Laura. And for writing this great book. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed it. And thank you for all the listeners out there. Uh, Make sure you check out the book. Highly recommended. And thank you to my beloved producer, Patty, to Dion Simpkins in the booth, making magic as always. Uh, If you have a question about something you heard on the show today, email us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. And then you can also follow me at Laura Zarrow and on our new handle at SXM Business. I hope all of you go out and find your four-way wins with all the people you love and care about. I'm Laura Zarrow, and this is Women at Work. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.